to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 86, recorded June 7th. June 7th. 2012. Let's not forget the year. Oh yeah, might confuse people in the future. Indeed, in the future. Right, so uh, this episode will actually be released here pretty quick at the end of June, so... uh, we're not too far off from recording date to publish date. Yeah, the the fact that we're losing our recording buffer has some benefits. We can talk about things which are not incredibly out of date by the time they finally get released. Exactly. So I can remind everybody to buy your tickets for the Star Trek The Next Generation 25th Anniversary One Night Only event at your local theater. Cool. Theater? That's that. That should be fun. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to seeing it. I haven't seen the price yet. Uh, the uh, the tickets don't actually go on sale till tomorrow. So, oh yeah. Hopefully, they won't charge more than just normal ticket price. But well, I certainly hope not. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, why should they? I mean, it, I mean, it's a, it, <laughs> it's a TV show that's more than made its money <laughs> for Paramount. I mean, it's like they should, you know. Right, and and you know they're going to charge premium price for those Blu-rays. Uh, exactly. Because so. Paramount, for whatever reason, thinks Star Trek DVDs have to be more expensive than any other TV show on DVD. Well, let's hope they don't do the same thing with the Blu-rays. They didn't with that sneak peek one, you know, that one that had the three episodes on it. It was 20 bucks for four random episodes, right? Well, uh, did I pay 20 bucks? I don't know. I didn't pay over 20 bucks. I say that mm. much when I got it on Amazon. Well, anyways, we'll see. So, I'm looking forward to seeing that movie, or the TV show, on the big screen. Uh, me too. Although, I, like I said before, it's going to be uh, the narrowest presentation I have seen on a big screen in a long time. <laughs> when uh, Smallville first came out, they did a theatrical release here in, in Dallas, and oh, yeah. I really wanted to go see the, the pilot on on the big screen, but... I had oh. to work, so I was not able to do so. So oh. this oh. will be making up for that for that grievous loss I had back in the early two thousand. I know when they did a Stargate Atlantis, I think they filmed that not only in in high def, and that's before there was a sci fi uh, channel HD. But they knew that you know they're going to release it in Blu Ray or whatever in the future. So they they did it in high def, which is really cool. And I also think they did it in, in pretty wide. Uh, screen format even though you don't see all that on the normal well at least in the in the initial runs of the show right yeah uh, enterprise was done the same way yeah for uh oh it, it, enterprise was in was was filmed in 1080p high def right oh okay cool i did not know that yeah because they were making a big deal when blu-ray you know became all the rage that mm-hmm. enterprise was the only one that they could just slap straight onto Blu-ray without having to do all this upscaling and things. Oh. Oh, cool. Good. 
Good, 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 good. So, all right. You want to talk about comic books, though? Hey, let's talk about comic books because we got three of them today. Three. Yeah. So, we're finishing off our Audra or Ardra. Yeah, that's how you pronounce her name. Ardra. Yeah. So we're finishing off her storyline with uh, issues thirty-seven and thirty-eight, and then we start off a brand new miniseries with issue number thirty-nine. Right. Or story arc, not miniseries. There you go. And let me just mention that this is ending up this particular story arc with Ardra. We may see her again in the future. You never know. You never know. Let's hope so. That's right. She's got some pretty interesting outfits, and she has great veil control. You mean postal service control? <laughs> no, no, not no, 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 not mail. Veil. Oh, veil. I didn't know what you were saying at first. Okay, now I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, okay. she does have veil control. As we found out in the last, uh, towards the end of the last episode. Yeah, uh, so. Towards the last episode and last issue. Exactly. All right, issue number 36. So, with uh, no further ado, shall I begin? Yes, let's do it. Excellent. So this is uh, DC's Star Trek, The Next Generation. Issue number 37, title is Consorting with the Devil. Early September 1992 published date. Creative team is writer Michael Jan Friedman, penciler Peter Krause, letters by Bob Panaha, inker is Pablo Marcos, colorist is Mike McCormick, editor is Kim Yale. The cover shows Jordy, Troy, Picard, Roe, and the devil herself, Ardra, in prison together. To increase shelf appeal, they were all dressed in their Starfleet uniforms, except for Ardra, who was wearing an attractive gown, complete with gloves that go all the way up to her bicep. All appropriate prison uniforms, and nothing like they are actually wearing in the story. But it's a good cover. The story opens in a Shenzabar prison, with Ardra looking at Captain Picard with a seductive come-hither look. She feigns surprise when Picard asks her to back off of the kiss she just gave him at the end of issue 36. She and Picard continue to trade jibes when Ardra comes to the point and proposes an alliance to stop the planned assassination of the king of Shanzibar, no less. Meanwhile, Dr. Crusher is dictating an electronic message to Wesley, who is off to Starfleet Academy. She summarizes the situation with Ardra and Shanzibar this way. How her presence on Shanzibar finally got the captain to go down to the planet for at least some time off from the ship. And B, how they first tangled with her during one of her cons on Ventax 2. Meanwhile, back in prison, Picard is not believing Ardra at first about the assassination plot, but he starts thinking if there's a chance she is right about this, he has to listen to her. When Picard asks for a reason why he should believe her, Ardra tells him her plan to seduce and marry the aging king of Shanzibar. She will play the queen until the codger kicks off and allows her to take over his riches. In the process of executing her plan, she overheard the king's counselors, led by chief advisor, Mizira, plan to drug the king and take over the government while he is bedridden. When she tried to get this news to the king, the advisors captured her and threw her in prison. Though Picard does not confirm he will help, 
He and Jordy ask her about the eye implants that she had when she was on Ventax 2 and how it could be used as a means of communication. Ardra says she does not have them with her, unfortunately. On the Enterprise Bridge, Riker, Worf, and Dr. Crusher are passing the time assuming nothing is wrong down on the planet. In the King's Palace, the King is speaking to his chief advisor, Weezer, about the riches they are amassing due to tourism. The scheming Weezer beseeches the fates to keep the king in power for a hundred years. Weezer insists the king take his medicine, which is obviously some form of poison. Back in the prison, Roe warns Picard not to believe Ardra, but Troy says she gets the impression Ardra is telling the truth. Ardra suggests Picard and his talented team must be able to find a way to break out of their prison. Picard says he will not compound their legal difficulties by breaking out of prison. Ardra plays her ace card by asking Picard whether breaking out of prison or allowing the king to die is a worse crime. Picard knows when he is licked. Miles O'Brien and his wife Keiko are in their quarters discussing whether Miles should go down to the planet for some shore leave. Keiko talks Miles into going down. In the prison, Ardra and Troy engineer an argument between one another to draw the guards in. When they enter, Roe attacks one from behind and incapacitates him. Jordy takes out the second guard. They make their break for it and move out of their cells and towards the exits. On their way out, they come across more guards, and Ardra uses her feminine charms to get past them. They leave the prison, but unfortunately without their communicators. They arrive at the king's palace and start to work out how they will get inside to see the king. To be continued. How will they get in? I don't know. A clever way, though, to be sure. We'll see. We'll see. So, I guess Picard is being a little bit of an old, a little bit less of an old fuss budget and getting with the program. A little bit in this one, but he goes a little over the top in the next issue, so I have some comments about that that I'll save for later. <laughs> okay. I was wondering why the advisor Weezer, Weezer, if I'm pronouncing that right, how he looks kind of like a human, you know, with white skin and a mustache and stuff, while the king and many of the other Shanzibarans have like purple skin and look, they look like aliens. I mean, humanoid, but they look like aliens. I mean, skin color isn't, isn't right. I mean... Or at least, no, it doesn't match any kind of Earth skin colors anyway. So I was just kind of wondering why it's mixed up like that. Yeah, but doesn't he still have the the, the wrinkled forehead that the other Shanzibarians have? Um, I don't know, perhaps. But... Yeah, because he has that turban on, but you can still see that he has the, the, uh, the ridges that, that start before the turban begins yeah you're right his skin color is white but then so is all the the robocop judge judge dread guys so <laughs> yeah that's a good point that's I, a good point i think caucasian is just one of their natural colors but they just have <sighs> more they, than they have more colors they got a lot of colors yeah well, so one of the judge so one of the judge dread um prison guards is definitely uh, he, he looks like he's a brown man and he's got like kind of like uh, I don't know some kind of weird tan hair. Anyway, so you you are right. There 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 is a big variety. It's just that purple is one of them, which is kind of throwing me. <laughs> right. Yes, because the the 
the king is like a withered-looking, raisin-looking guy. <laughs> exactly. He looks like a raisin. Yes. Nothing, nothing like he looks like in the next issue cover, but we'll save that for then. Save that for then. So, yeah, so uh, these two issues, Picard throws a lot of punches. Let's just... Sorry to be spoiler here, but yes, when he gets out of the prison, he whacks that, that guard on the back of the head, takes him out with one punch. Exactly. He's very much the uh, heroic, can-do, kick-anybody's-butt kind of situation. I think it's the cape. Once you put a cape on, (laughs) (laughs) you think you can do anything. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that is funny he's got a cape. I gotta say. I I know they're in, like, native get-ups and stuff, but it's like, it's really a cape. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No qualms about it. It's a cape. They don't even try to pretend otherwise. No. And I kind of like the kind of belly dancer outfit that Ardra has. Right. Yeah. Pretty cool. I like it. Yep, she looks good. Yep, yep, she looks good. Yeah, she in the show, Devils Do, she had a lot of interesting outfits, too. Yeah. If you recall that. She definitely is fine with using all of the advantages that she can muster. Right. So I, I do have a question, especially when she's talking about what her scheme is here, you know, to woo and seduce the king and all that other stuff. Um, her ship is in orbit, but where's her crew? Uh, they never talk about it. Because in the episode, it they do establish that she has a crew that was helping her do all the illusions and stuff. Exactly, right. But... Uh, no mention of them here, so I have no idea if is she going solo now, or they just, the writers forgot that part. Well, I think it's either she's got automation on the ship or something, and she's going solo, or it's just a detail they didn't want to bother dealing with. Right. Yeah, Hmm. You know how sometimes they just decide not to deal with some detail, and it's like, okay, we're just going, we're going to focus on this stuff here, It'd be kind of convoluted for us to deal with that kind of thing. So we're just going to go with this over here, and you'll never notice. Yeah. But good point. Right. Good point. What else you got? Because I'll be honest, I don't have a ton. I I guess the only thing I have to say is that um, uh, Keiko, Miles O'Brien's wife, could definitely look a bit more Asian in in some some of the, uh, the drawings. And by the way, why? I guess we're going to find out eventually. I'm just kind of wondering why, you know, all this time is being spent with the uh, O'Briens. Well, they're they're pretty big in the show. I mean, they're second tier characters, but I, I like them. So yeah. I, I always liked well, it when they showed up on the show. I'm not getting any out of, anything out of it. I'm not getting anything out of it. Them doing it here, nope. and I didn't get anything out of it. And maybe there's more, you know, when when Miles goes down the planet. I sure, no, they don't. I mean, it, well, they, it, it has nothing to do with the main story. It has nothing to do with anything because, yeah. spoiler alert, he's not even in the next issue. Exactly. And they leave Shanzibar. So yes, it's and probably without him because they never talk about him. Yeah. Well, it, he it, never goes. It's, <laughs> it, it's it's complete filler, throwaway. Yeah. Well, it, well how do you know he doesn't go? Do you know well, he doesn't go? I don't know if he doesn't go, but we never see him, and we'll see other people there here in a little well, it's bit. A big, it's a big planet. 
Yeah, you're right, but it, it's filler, and I hate filler. Yeah, it's definitely I hate filler filler. for the sake of filler. Yeah, okay, and uh, it was filler back when Q did his last visit, too, right? So... Well, it was... I think that one was a little better because it showed that even the baby had changed into a Klingon and that the baby could see... (laughs) The baby could see Q there, you know, Quantum Leap style. Yes, a a fish and whatever can see Q. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just didn't get a lot of, out of that one either. And I get even less out of this, this, this little appearance. But it's like, fine, okay. Right, right. I get it. Yeah. I definitely get what you're saying. Right. And other than that, um, I don't think I have anything more to say about this issue either. Uh, let me just make sure I covered everything. He looks like a raisin, RoboCop guy. That was it. Okay. So shall we go on to see what happens to Picard and the gang? Sure. But before we do go... Yes. You did notice Kim Yale was the editor. And right. uh, that is her last issue. She went on to other things. Oh, really? Hmm. Yes. So uh, she went to edit... Um, I'm sure you've been seeing the ads in these comic books for Impact Comics. Okay. I had, like, The Fly and some other just random characters you probably never heard of. Oh. That was a new um, imprint that DC was doing at this time. Right. And she actually went to edit that. Huh. So it was, like, seven or eight ongoing titles. So, anyways. Yeah, and I just, I just, sorry, but I just got to mention it. Just because my notes said that Kim Yale did have involvement in the next issue, and I figured I must have got them wrong. No, she does but, par- partial edits in the next two. Right. Okay. Okay. Fine. Yeah. But this is so, that was her last full episode issue. Oh, okay. Last full production duties. Right. Because she right. does it back with Greenberger in the next issue, and then is it is it them both again in the final one? Because I know uh, she's involved in the last one. Oh, Alan Gold. Alan Gold takes over. Oh, okay, so he becomes the new. Um, Star Trek yep. editor, normal right. guy. Yep. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, just just wanted to point that out. I, I think we actually kind of talked about it last week with the uh, original series uh, that we noticed that that uh, there was some flip-flopping in the editors, but uh, that's why. I, I looked it up to find out where she went to. Oh, cool. All right. So uh, we'll jump into issue number 38 then. Um, this came out... Late September 1992. And uh, let me double check. Aside from the editor being Robert Greenberger and Kim Yale, um, everything else is the same, so we won't go through it all again. So uh, this one is entitled Dirty Work. All right, so the cover shows Picard, Ardra, and a large white male standing in the middle of the page. And uh, they seem to be in the midst of one of Ardra's famous holographic illusion transitions that we saw in the episode Devils Do. Uh, because their top part is, you know, normal Picard. Bottom part is, like, I guess, peasant clothes. I, I don't quite know what, what they're wearing. It's not, not his cape that he's wearing in the normal episode. Anyway, so around them stand some uh, surprise-looking hooligans with some phasers drawn. 
So the caption at the top says, Schemes and counter-schemes in Shanzibar. The startling conclusion. So that's, that's going to grab you. So the story starts off with the fugitives Picard, Roe, Troy, Jordy, and Ardra standing in front of the king's palace, attempting to find a way in. Ardra has a plan, and it takes them to the delivery entrance, which is being guarded by an armed trooper. Ardra and the gang are literally standing right in front of this big archway in front of this guard, and she reveals her whole plan right in front of this guard. She plans to hijack a laundry truck and get into the palace that way. And just then, it shows the laundry truck zoom past them. But Picard is able, and this is pretty fantastic, Picard is able to catch up with the truck, punch the driver in the face, stop the truck, and the guard who's standing literally five feet in front of him sees none of this. He is Action Jackson. It is fantastic. Anyways, (laughs) just him catching up with the truck, punching the guy in the face, It's that part's ridiculous enough, but because of the panel before where you saw the guard literally standing in front of them like a uh, you know a guard in front of the queen's palace there in 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 London you know that they're not supposed to move but come on they can move if something's going on beef eaters they beef can eat. move right it's just it it's ridiculous anyways we'll talk about that in the comment section sorry i uh, digress so uh once the truck is stopped roe strips the driver out of his clothes and the rest of them sneak into the back. Roe goes ahead and drives the truck a few feet, because literally they're standing in front of the gate. So she drives it the rest of the way. The guards let her in uh, once they buy her story that the normal driver is ill and that she's the replacement. In the back, Picard and Ardra are getting into one of the containers, and they tell the others to depart once the laundry container is dropped off. On the Enterprise, Riker has Worf hail the captain to find out how much fun he's having on his vacation. But there's no response. Riker starts to get a little worried, and he has Worf head down to the transporter room to investigate. And he goes along with. And then Worf has a look on his face that says something like, I told you so. Because that was his big deal last, last issue. Back on the planet, the maid service is now rolling the container that holds Picard and Ardra, along with all the other laundry, throughout the palace. This container has wheels, so it's not like a uh, hovercraft, but somehow this maid is, is unaware that the container is quite a bit heavier, and she does not hear the two of them as they're having long discussions inside the container. Picard still suspects that she has something up her sleeve. But Ardra tells him that she's being completely honest with him, and that he should be enjoying their time snuggling. Riker and Worf arrive at the Shanzibar constable's office. The constable says that he is not aware of any other Starfleet officers on the planet. Riker says that they would be wearing local outfits and not the normal Starfleet uniforms. And then Worf finds a communicate or. And then Worf finds the communicators in a cardboard box labeled Lost and Found. Not really, but it does look like a cardboard box, and it's just filled with various communicators. Worf then shows a picture of Picard to the constable. That's when the uh, the constable gets a little upset and tells them all about the recent jailbreak. Back in the palace, the container of fresh linens 
is a, is delivered to the king while he's in his bubble bath. Yes, bubble bath. Instead of opening the container and placing the laundry into the cabinets or wherever it's supposed to go, the maid conveniently leaves the container with the bathing king. As the king is playing with his royal rubber ducky, Picard and Ardra pop out and surprise the elderly man. Ardra tells him about how his advisors are trying to poison him. The king tells her that these are some serious charges and asks how she plans to prove it. We flash back to Riker and Worf, who are wandering the streets looking for signs of the captain. They make their way to the tavern that Picard and company got into trouble back in issue number 36. Riker and Worf are talking a little too loud uh, so that some of the patrons get a little upset that they're disturbing the performance. Uh, to, they get so upset with Riker that they actually start a fistfight again with uh, with. They get so upset with Riker that they actually start another fistfight. At the home of the king's advisor, Weezer, the whole gang has gathered to have a nice meal together, all the conspirators. Weezer outlines his whole plan about how they all plan to drug the king, and once he's in a coma, that Weezer was going to take control and spend the treasury himself. One of the gang says that he is appalled by this. Weezer takes this as cold feet on the thug's part. That is when the thug's form suddenly starts to shimmer and it's revealed to be the king himself, uh, thanks to one of Ardra's holographic disguises. In fact, everyone at the table turns out to be Picard, Ardra, Roe, Geordi, and Troy. None of the actual conspirators at all. Caught red-handed, Weezer tries to cut a rope supporting a chandelier that uh, he then causes it to fall and try to smash the uh, the Starfleet crew. Ardra is able to save the king by pushing him out of the way, and Picard is able to knock Weezer out with a powerful right hook. Sometime later in the king's chambers, he offers everyone a sizable reward for saving his life. Ardra seems very pleased with this. Picard accuses her that this is what she had planned all along. She admits that she was just gold digging, and she wanted to marry the king. The king offers to marry her, as long as she signs a prenup. However, she declines, saying that life on Shanzibar is just too exciting. She promises to meet up with Picard again, and takes her reward in a flash of her transporter effect. Picard then contacts his ship, and requests a beam out. Data asks if they had met up with Riker and Worf yet. Picard says no, but suspects that they know where he might be if they were following his footsteps. The end. Mm-hmm. A little turning of the tables at the end. Yeah, and nobody got suspicious that everybody just wanted to have lunch or dinner or whatever it was with Weezer and talk about the, the plan. <laughs> that was quite a coincidence, wasn't it? Yeah. I did like that he actually kind of caught on and was like, why are you asking me all this? You know, you know what we're doing. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't some of the, uh, some of the plots, uh, one of the, one of the guys around the table, some details <laughs> right. were his own idea. He said, yeah, what was your idea? He's like, well, uh, 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 well, maybe not. <laughs> I, I did like that part. Yeah, I did because 
I wasn't expecting it, although I should have expected it, because that's exactly the kind of tricks that Ardra was playing in Devil's Do. But then when they all appear around the table, it was like, oh, like, <laughs> everyone's there. It's like, well, you really didn't need to have everyone there, but uh, okay. And so what did they do with all the real guys? So they went ahead and arrested people, and they couldn't just question them. I mean, somehow they were keeping the real conspirators from getting to Weezer. Right. For this this dinner or whatever he was having for him. Yep. So, I, I didn't really get that they really needed to go through this big elaborate disguise thing. But oh well, it was it was a cute little moment. Yeah, they did in the end. And then Picard just turned into Mister Superhero and was punching people left and right, <laughs> which is really not Picard's style. No. I mean, uh, you know, th- this that's a lot more Kirkian. Right. Than Picard. You know, tackling Weezer and Weezer's trying to, you know, do the knife thing and he dodges it and then the uppercut and it's like, this is totally like, uh, this is Kirk. Yeah. And the shot of him punching Weezer in the throat is actually a really cool shot. <laughs> it and is funny because... And, and then what he says... That will teach you to play with knives. It's like, geez, Picard, you are just, you are, you are all over it. And it's just funny seeing Picard in an earring. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Has he been wearing it all along and I just hadn't noticed it? Uh, I didn't notice it until you just said it now. So it's been part of his costume for the last several uh, issues? Hmm. No, because when he's in the container with Ardra, he does not which, have an earring. Which, by the way, has to be a TARDIS. <laughs> yes, it's huge in there. It's huge inside, and as this other guy is pushing it along, and I completely agree with your comment as you were doing the synopsis. So, uh, Picard and Ardra are just talking back and forth in this rather spacious laundry cart, and this guy doesn't hear anything, and it's a hell of a lot bigger on the inside than it is on the outside? I don't know. Something and why on. does he come into the king's bathroom while he's while he's bathing? And then it's like, oh, just going to leave this Big bucket of laundry for you. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's quite a coincidence. It's handy. If I was the king, I'd be like, well, you've already interrupted my bath. Why don't you go ahead and put it up and then take the cart out of here? I, I don't need this big, ugly plastic bin. I, exactly. I mean, you would think he would take it out. Yeah, completely. Yeah, completely. It, it was way too convenient. Exactly. And the whole idea, or, you know, I said he had a... a rubber ducky he doesn't but he does have like a little back scrubber and he's really singing (laughs) it's ridiculous yeah and and that does look like like a back scrubber you'd get like from uh walmart or something i mean you could see part of the yellow handle and there's like a little hole in the top so you could like like right but look on the next page and you can actually see the head and oh yeah like a normal right it's an oval kind of like uh like a 1950s kind of back scratcher. Funny. It's ridiculous. Actually, I could use one of those. I have a hard time getting right in the middle of my back. <laughs> oh. oh, we'll call up the king. Maybe he'll send you one. Gold-plated like this one. The king. Exactly. He's, he's a generous old guy, I'll tell you that. Yeah, so I, I don't think he should be in that bathtub too much longer because he's pretty pruney already. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I just I did not like the bathtub scene. I did not like the laundry uh, scenes. A, a lot of this issue I didn't care for. It <laughs> yeah. really seemed weak. 
Well, yeah. And, and the characters are just not what you expect from them. I mean, it, at some times, Picard is doing the, you know, superhero kind of thing. He's got the cape. Why not? And then at other times, like on page three, Picard, it's when they're in the middle of um, executing on Ardra's plan or something. Picard kind of says to Ardra when it's in the middle of uh, the scams going down. And he says, says to Ardra, where do I go? And it's like, come on. I mean, so Ardra's going to tell you how to do everything? I mean, you're Picard. He just sounded like a dim-witted child. I don't know. It didn't come off right to me. Yeah, I didn't even catch that that was Picard. I thought that was Geordi, but no, you're absolutely right. That no, is Picard. It's, yeah, it's Picard. So when she was running things, she was running things, and Picard was like, oh, I guess I'll turn my brain off now. What should I do now, Audra? Well, Audra? he did just run to a truck that had just passed them, <laughs> caught up with it, punched the guy in the face. Even more so. <laughs> He's probably tired. <laughs> One minute he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, the the next minute he's Forrest Gump. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so did that bug you about the them standing literally right behind a brick wall from the guard, <laughs> outlining yes. their whole plan? Yes, I agree. I, what I thought was going to happen is they're going to turn around the corner. It's like there's going to be all these guards going to get caught again. But uh, no, 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 there weren't. Their plan works flawlessly. Exactly. It never does explain where Roe and Jordy went to. Well, they're B players, so they do their thing in some spots, and then they just go in the background and let the right. Like, I really the thought that they were, forward. you know, once Riker and Worf showed up, I was like, oh, okay, they're going to meet up with Roe, and then they're going to need, you know, the cavalry at some point, and it'll be Riker and Worf and Roe and Jordy and Troy. You know, it'd be. The this gang. big, this big, you know, this big knight in shining armor, and then nope, we're just gonna <laughs> just have Picard hit him in the throat. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. uh, in the end, the original landing party didn't need any help from uh, from the cavalry. In fact, the cavalry ends up getting into trouble. Yay! The same trouble with the same guy. Right. It's like, and they just happen to go to the same bar. Convenient. That's, that's, that's a happy coincidence. So I must convenient. Say. I must say. Like and, I said, I wasn't a big fan of this this issue. Yeah, but I I, I kind of like it where that big guy who was crying at the uh, <laughs> at the opera or whatever that thing was that they were doing on stage. Right. He just totally cold cocks Riker. I mean, off of his feet. <laughs> Riker is flying through the air, and he is horizontal in the air. Yeah, and he makes a comment that. Uh, you know, he he the the guy that's that's beating up on Riker uh, right. may not be too happy with the way Shanzibar has cleaned themselves up. Oh, <laughs> doesn't he make a comment that you know that, that maybe he he misses the old days? Ah, uh, I, I think he definitely misses the old days. That's pro- that's probably why he's crying. <laughs> although although Roe is able to knock that guy in his butt. But this guy is able to totally manhandle Riker. So it's like, okay. Oh, you know what? I, I was wrong. He does not say that. He he calls the other ones barbaric. The Riker and Worf barbaric. Because <laughs> he's sensitive. Right. Never mind. Okay. I take back my comment about him wishing to go back to his barbaric ways. Oh, I thought you meant he. you had a feeling he wanted to go back to his barbaric no, ways. No, I thought he actually said it. As opposed to him actually something. saying it. Yeah, um, no, I thought he actually said it. But I was um, wrong. 
So what do you think about the cover with the uh, the weird transporter effect? Did you catch that it was her holographic thing, or did you think that it was a transporter? Um, I, I didn't know what they were doing, quite frankly. I just thought it was another, pardon me for saying it, BS cover. <laughs> so yeah, every cover... I mean, okay, so the whole time they're down on the planet, they're in local garb, you know. Yeah. They're trying to blend in with the natives. Yet every time, they got to have them in their uniform. So you say, oh, that's Picard, you know, when you see it on the rack. And so I thought that was just some kind of, I don't know, some BS way that they would at least be able to go halfway. I mean, show Picard in his Starfleet uniform on the top, but then also at least acknowledge the fact that he's in, you know, in different garb inside the issue. That's That's the way I took it. But then, yes. The cover is meant to depict, uh, although in a slightly different way because they're standing as opposed to be sitting around the table, depicting how there's an illusion going on. So I, I didn't get that when I first looked at the cover. But you did catch that they were wearing two different outfits because I, I did not. I had to go back oh, and, and look. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. Mm. And, and I thought that was just their way of reconciling a little bit, you know, what's inside with what they knew they had to put on the outside. Right. And by the way, that large white guy who's behind Picard and to the side uh, of Ardra, obviously that's the king, right? I mean, he certainly looks like a king. As a matter of fact, I'd say he almost looks like King Arthur. King Arthur? King Arthur, as played by Sean Connery. (laughs) Okay. Oh, come on. I mentioned this before to you, before we started recording. That is Sean Connery. Uh, As he appeared... In uh, in that King Arthur movie, uh, First Night. Right. And Picard looks a lot like King Lionheart from um, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. You know, I never sat through that whole movie. Oh, but, really? But, you got to watch the end because it's, it's uh, Patrick Stewart as King Lionheart. Yes. I remember, yeah. You know, now that I think about it, I think when we actually went to see the movie theater, I did see the whole thing. But that was like the last time because it really wasn't that good a movie. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, but that was cool seeing Picard. Well, parts were funny. Other parts were almost painful. Sorry, Mel. I loved Mel Brooks' movies. He just had a bad patch there, man. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, he looks like he definitely does not look like the pres uh, the the king here on the cover. No, and. And are you saying he does not look like Sean Connery? You don't see that? I guess I could see it. Yeah, but you're not... I mean, I'm saying spit an image. Oh, I would not say spitting image. Spit an image is what I'm saying. And I think they I think they purposely had Picard and... Or uh, Sean Connery in mind when they drew it. Well, maybe. So when people saw it on the cover, they say, Hey, look, Sean Connery's in this issue. Let's get it. <laughs> is that what they would say? It, that's exactly what they'd say. Uh, big Zardoz fan. Yeah, Sean Connery. Let's look at it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that was one of his finest films. Which one? Zardoz. That was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that I'm was... shocked. I'm shocked that you don't like that film. You like cin- it for real? It was a cinematic landmark. It was a high watermark. Are you serious? No. You can't be not. serious. Of course not. If anybody hasn't seen that movie, uh, don't. 
It's Sean Connery running around in a Speedo. Uh, and he's a very hairy man. It just shouldn't <laughs> happen. It shouldn't be allowed. Well, you know why he did that movie, right? No. Why? Because uh, he got typecast as, as James Bond and right. he wanted to do something else. Wow, he sure did it. And so he picked this low-budget sci-fi movie and god it's bad <laughs> I, I don't know I, I'm going to have to go out and find it now oh don't I just need to watch it again <laughs> the, the, the deity that they're fighting has the big reveal that uh, guns are good and everybody, <laughs> everybody's cheering yeah hey, guns are good the penis is bad yeah. Huh? What? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what am I worshipping again? And it turns out to be a woman. Oh, no. Oh, I'll no. be honest. I've never watched it all the way through, but I've seen enough of it to know that it's it's bad. It's bad. Uh, all right. See. What else you got on this one? I thought part, uh, Riker looked like an idiot when he finally tries to call the landing party, you know, six hours later after they first go down. Right. I mean, he's just... You're like, oh, yeah, he's just having a great time. It's great, you know, hey, you know. Hey, yeah, and he's like, he's literally, yeah. let's call him and see how much fun they're having. Exactly. And then and, and then when they can't get a hold of him, he's like, oh, what, what happened? Uh, yeah. Oh, that. my God. I, I hated Riker. the whole Beverly riding Wesley. Dear Wesley, oh, you'll yeah. never believe we finally got the captain to take a vacation. Yeah. Who cares? Wesley yeah. would be like, I don't care, Mom. Send me some money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm having fun over here. I'm I'm flying these space jets here. This is great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It, that was... I did not like any of that part. No, neither. It seemed really odd. I mean, yes, he doesn't take vacation, but... Would the crew really care that much? Well, they, they care about him. He's their captain. And he's oh, such a nice guy. I care about him too, but I, I, you know, his vacation habits aren't going to keep me up at night, and I'm not going to write home about it, <laughs> or right away to Wesley. Yeah, while it's happening. Right. So, yeah. So I've already made the comment about the TARDIS basket. Yeah, that's funny. I didn't. I didn't catch that it was that dispos- disproportioned. Well. It, it, I'm overstating it a little bit, but really, look at it. No, <laughs> look at when they're inside. Oh, you're And then look on. at it from the outside. I mean, they would have been, like, pretty close to each other. I mean, as in, like, like really close, and then, you know, the, the, the towels on top of them or something. I don't yeah, no, you're absolutely right. right. And they look quite roomy and comfortable. In there. I mean, they've got the stocks of towels in between them, the two, and it's like, no way. That's TARDIS. <laughs> uh, I think you're right. Yeah. I think it was the TARDIS. On loan from the Doctor. <laughs> from the Doctor. See, the first crossover. People don't realize that. This is the first crossover issue. <laughs> but only the TARDIS gets to be there. With its chameleon circuit unstuck. Ooh, nice Doctor Who reference. Ooh, yes. Yes. Yeah, not too nice. many people know about that chameleon circuit. Oh, uh, yes. And how long it's been stuck. It did work once. Apparently. In the show. No, oh. and there was one episode of Tom, Colin Baker episode where oh, well, no they actually had it working. No wonder I didn't see it. Uh, <laughs> what did it turn into? I don't remember. A clock or something? Oh, 
a grandfather clock. A grandfather or clock, and they 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 came out of it. Oh, hmm. Hmm. I think, or maybe that was the maybe that was the Master's Tardis. Uh, oh. I'll be honest. I'm not a big Colin Baker fan, so ah. I could have. Me neither. Might have watched that one on 1.5 speed. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get through it, hoping, praying something good would be in it. All right. Okay. Well, that's all I have to say about this issue. That's it. Let's see. I have one more. Yes. It is very thought-provoking. I'm ready. Yes. All right. So Troy makes a comment to Picard that she, that uh, Ardra is telling the truth. Yes. Yet in Devil's Due, they make a big deal that Troy could not read. Couldn't read, read her. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. 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 So, so it's not really, happen? it's just a nitpick, you know, because I like to do that. <laughs> yes, you do. Can, you, can you do the nerd voice? Because I always like it when, when you do that when I mention things like this. Um, excuse me, sir, sir, what you don't seem to realize is that in issue uh, 5341 of season 4. Oh, uh, it was season 5. <laughs> Season 5, 12 minutes into the beginning, after the opening credits, we see, we find out that. Yes, yes, that that sounds just like me. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I've done the voice better in the past, but yes. So Alright, so uh, we're, we're, every time we get episodes that aren't very good, we seem to tend to ramble. Yes. So. Well, we've definitely talked about these two more than we should. Yes, because they're bad, but... Well, at least they're not, not as horrible. bad as the next one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ooh. So that's, that's a little grabber. Good that's, little grabber. My, that's my segue. <laughs> P- people will definitely continue listening now. Okay. Issue number 39 is titled Bridges. Published date is late October 1992. Creative team is... Mostly the same, except that uh, Alan Gold is now the editor, along with Kim Yale, which I think we mentioned before. Cover shows Jordy, Worf, and Data on high alert in a curved hallway. Jordy has his tricorder out, but has turned to the reader in response to a threat. Data, too, is facing the reader with his phaser drawn. Worf is on point with his phaser raised and apparently just triggered based on the twinkle of red light just exiting the gun's emitter. The text above their heads reads, Descent into the unknown. Picard and Riker are observing a moon-sized object just hanging all alone in space. As the Enterprise approaches, they can see it appears to be artificial. As Riker comments on how lonely it looks and that it could stand some company... The scene shifts to ten forward, where Ensign Rowe is sitting all alone. But not for long. Data approaches and asks if he can join her. She says yes, and goes on to say she guesses she could use a friend right now. When Data's presence does not improve Rowe's morose mood, she tells him one of Bajor's most important holidays is coming up, and there are no other Bajorans aboard the ship to share it with. Roe tells of the origins of the holiday. A ruthless warrior dictator named Gordok came to power a thousand years ago in pre-industrial Bajor. He was marching against his neighbors, conquering them, and taking their resources to feed his growing army. Independent cities were falling 
at an increasing rate until only one independent city-state remained. Those people had been enjoying some degree of safety since a relatively narrow strip of land connected it to the rest of Bajor. As the dictator's army marched unopposed across the land bridge, the people of the city dreaded the coming invasion. You see, they were not a warrior people. They were more suited for poetry and literature than hand-to-hand combat. As the tyrant's armies approach, they were surprised to see... Commander Data, report to the bridge. Roe's story is interrupted. Data apologizes and departs for the bridge, leaving Roe alone and again unhappy. Elsewhere, Geordi is about to make a difficult billiard shot when the call for him to come to the bridge throws off his shot. Geordi apologizes to Chief O'Brien, who is his partner in the Enterprise Pool Championship. They were poised to win until Geordi was called to the bridge. Their opponents, two security men, tell O'Brien that he has one minute to find a new partner or forfeit the championship. O'Brien is able to talk Counselor Troy, who just happens to be playing Tetris in the room, into becoming his new partner despite her lack of experience with the game and the competition continues. Meanwhile, a fussy Alexander is getting a haircut while Worf looks on. Since Alexander hates to get his hair cut, Mr. Mott is trying to tell Alexander a story about an engagement the Endeavor was in to teach him a lesson about patience. After cutting just one little hair, Alexander calls Mott on several story details that prove Mott was just making the whole story up. Embarrassed, Mott pronounces the haircut over. As Alexander and Worf are walking away from the haircut fiasco, Worf chastises the boy for his rudeness. Alexander defends himself by saying he spoke the truth. A call for Worf to report to the bridge ends the conversation for now. Dr. Crusher is on the holodeck in a simulation of Big Sur with Dr. Catherine Polanski's daughter named Terry. Terry has been assigned to the Enterprise recently after a traumatic set of events she suffered on her previous posting on the Grissom. Dr. Crusher is called to the bridge, and they both leave for the bridge since Terry is going on duty soon. There on the bridge, Worf, Data, Geordi, and Dr. Crusher all assemble to find out what the captain has summoned them for. Picard wants to send the men, 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 over to investigate the artificial moon that so far is scanning as lifeless. The captain wants Dr. Crusher on the bridge with him in case they come across something that requires the attention of the good doctor, such as something that could have removed life on the spear. The away team is beamed over to the sphere and they are wearing hazmat suits that protect them should there be any biological agents aboard. Sensor readings indicate the artificial structure is a thousand years or more old. Worf's tricorder detects energy readings from a strong power source. The, The away team follows the power leads to the source of the energy. On the way, the team brings up the possibility that this structure could be the reason no living thing seems to be in the vicinity of it. On the bridge, Picard is making the observation that the construct may have outlived its makers. Suddenly, six ships come out of the sphere at warp two towards the Enterprise. 
They reduced speed and moved us around the Enterprise, who has raised her shields. Terry Pulaski, who is at the helm station, realizes the ships are Shitazan warships. And she states, they are the same cold-blooded killers that attacked the Grissom and left her and her surviving crewmates for dead. To be continued. So, I got a question. Why are you calling her Terry Pulaski? Uh, because she's uh, Dr. Pulaski's daughter. Where are you getting that from? From the beginning. You didn't read that very closely, did you? I did read it very closely. Oh, really? Okay. It, well, I thought that it talks about her mother replacing yes. Uh, yes. Crusher. Well, as the head of Starfleet, as the head of Medical, Starfleet not Medical, not of right. the Enterprise. Well, no, okay, okay, <laughs> okay. So they switched jobs, basically. So uh, when Crusher left the Enterprise, she went out to head up Starfleet Medical. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know all the reasons. I don't remember all the reasons. But when the big switch happened and Doctor Crusher came back to the Enterprise, she recommended uh, Pulaski, who is Terry's mother, to replace her as the head of Starfleet Medical. So, uh, because of the fact that they're talking about uh, Dr. Pulaski and the fact that she is Dr. Pulaski's daughter, of course, I suppose she could be maybe not Pulaski, but actually the name of the father. I don't know, but... Okay, where do they talk about Pulaski? (sighs) Um, Okay, so let me take it from the beginning. So, Dr. Crusher is saying, how's your mother doing? Right. And then then... Terry is saying uh, she, she, she's fine and she's very happy to be head of Starfleet uh, Medical and thank you very much for recommending that she take your position over from you when you left it. Right. And then that's Dr. Pulaski. I never heard that Dr. Pulaski went back to Starfleet Medical. Well, reading all this... Got me wondering about what's going on. I assume that's Dr. Pulaski. So I went to Memory Alpha. Okay. And I looked it up. So it says right there. Or was it Memory Beta? Anyway, so uh, I did go there and I did a little research. So So it says she has a daughter and her name is Terry. Hold it. Memory Beta did not... Okay. (sighs) this This took a little research, but Memory Beta said... Or was it Memory Alpha? One of the two. It, it, said the, it said the following. It said that Pulaski took over Crusher's job as head of Starfleet Medical. Okay, so it said that. Okay, fine. So that, so that confirms it's Pulaski. Then I went ahead and did a search on Pulaski's daughter. And it did have reference to a daughter of Pulaski's that she risked a lot to be able to save her. Uh, right. But it didn't actually say... I don't think it said the name Terry, though. No, it says Jackie, and that's actually Jackie. a Marvel Comics... Exactly, right. It's a comic Deep book. Deep Space right. Nine. There you go. Okay, so there you go. So I'm looking at... So, so the first thing I'm, I'm scratching my head going, oh, okay, so this thing is referring to a co- comic. Okay, great. So if it's, <laughs> if it's referring to a comic that told us, uh, that confirmed to us that Pulaski took over the Starfleet Medical, head of Starfleet Medical, from Crusher... It's like, okay, well, how, how are people going to know that unless they read the comic book? Well, whatever. Well, and I'm so, still not seeing where it says that she takes over Starfleet Medical. 
because there's a lot of expanded okay. universe that yeah, has Pulaski on missions and stuff page. after season two. Right. And she's on other ships and or she's on Deep Space Nine or she's, you know, right. she's never head of Starfleet Medical like like Crusher was. Uh, yeah, so it says right here. An electromagnetic field. Okay, so how's your mom? And then Terry says, couldn't be better. She'll always be indebted to you for leaving Starfleet Medical and and recommending her as your replacement. I assume that was replacement as the head of Starfleet Medical. That's right. Right. Well, so what don't you get? When did when did Pulaski ever when does it ever say Pulaski's the head of Starfleet Medical? Well, when Crusher it, came back to the Crusher, Enterprise, if Crusher they didn't recommended her jobs. as re- that, that, about, about, uh, uh, well, Okay, it, <laughs> <laughs> she's saying it, it, you know in the same sentence, she'll always be indebted to you for leaving Starfleet Medical and recommending her as your replacement. At right. Starfleet Medical. Exactly. But right. it's not Pulaski. It's somebody else. When Crusher left to come back to the Enterprise, Pulaski went to another ship, and okay. this woman's mother became the head of Starfleet Medical. Okay. So you know what her last name is? Uh, in the next issue, we find out her name is Oliver. But you're right. I mean, if... Oh. Hmm. I'm not saying okay. she's not Pulaski's daughter. I'm just trying to figure out how you thought she was. Because of this entire scene. Right. But I, I never got that Pulaski ever went back to Starfleet Medical. And I don't see I don't well, read that in, in this conversation. I, I never I never saw where she went after it myself. I don't remember that Deep Space Nine or I, I never read the comic book, the Deep Space Nine comic book. Right. So I never knew where she went. So right. um, when they were taught, when they were having this interaction, which could be interpreted multiple ways, I will agree with that. Right. I interpreted it as Pulaski, and it, actually, if you take a look at the picture of the uh, of Terry here, and if you take a pic, take a look at a a, pol- a picture of Pulaski on on Memory uh, Beta, right. I'm looking at the two, and there's a strong facial resemblance. Huh. And I and when I was reading this. They had such a detailed close-up of Terry. I was wondering, you know, what what do they have such a big close-up for? And I think they purposely drew her that she looks like um, Dr. Pulaski. Well, I'm not going to argue with you on it because I don't know, but... Well, I don't know for sure either, but this is the way I'm interpreting it. Right. Which I will admit I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. (laughs) But you do, and that's fine. Uh, Yeah. That's cool. And I think you're wrong, so... But but I know you're wrong. (laughs) But you don't know I'm wrong. How do you know I'm wrong? I don't know you're wrong. Because as you said yourself, if her last name's Oliver, that could be the father. It could be, but... But she never was head of Starfleet Medical, which her mother is. Well, how do you know that? How do you know she wasn't head of Starfleet? Yeah, Medical? you're right. I mean, I mean, well, she could have went to be Starfleet, uh, the head of Starfleet Medical. I mean, Crusher did it for one year, one season, right. and then she left. Right. What says that Doctor Pulaski didn't do it for a couple of years? And then she ends up in that Deep Space Nine comic. Who knows? All right. Well, 
We'll see. I mean, uh, we find out her last name is Oliver in the next issue, uh, and maybe we get more of her background, and they'll explain it. But uh, well, okay. So you read ahead, or you've read this in the past, whatever. I haven't read the next issue yet. But no. did you actually read far enough to know? No, I, I I had to find out what her last name was because it was really bothering me who oh. this Terry was. Uh, so I did pull up the next issue and just to find where like Riker is talking to her and he calls her Lieutenant Oliver. Right. But memory beta, memory alpha, nobody has anything about a, a Terry Oliver. So who knows? Maybe it'll be revealed later. I, I, I'm. <laughs> I don't there's, know. There's Oliver Crawford. Hmm. Right. Oh, but and he's, plus, he's some I mean, kind of a production guy. Yeah, yeah, plus I was trying to figure out what's what's this Grissom they're talking about. Yes. I'm assuming it's a, a Starfleet vessel, so... Yeah. So, you know. so, so the Grissom was in the Taz movies, as we know, but this is obviously a different Grissom. Right, and there was also a Grissom in the New Frontier novels. Oh. It, it plays a pretty big, big part in those books. I think and actually, uh, and at least that's next gen time period, roughly. right? But I don't think it ever gets attacked and destroyed by these things, right? <clears throat> and uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Grissom's obviously a, a common name. It doesn't even have to be a Starfleet ship. It could just be a. We don't know. She hasn't given the backstory yet. Well, she hasn't, but yeah. I mean, I, I just assume because she is a Starfleet officer that that, and it happened recently, right. that it was another Starfleet ship. But yeah, I guess you don't really know for sure. You don't know. You just don't know, sir. You just don't know, damn it. But odds are, I'd say it's probably Starfleet. Yeah. But, well, but who knows? My guess is, and it's not going to be the one that uh, that was in the uh, Star Trek Three, and it's not going to be the one that's in... <laughs> Uh, New Frontier. So it's another Grissom. Yeah. So Gus Grissom pops up a lot in, in ship names, I guess. I guess he was well, he was a famous space explorer from the future? Uh, no. He was one of the original American astronauts. Oh, is that what it's named after? Yeah. Well, I assume. That's the only... That's the only Grissom I know of that's a real person. So I assume they've been naming... Naming the ship after uh, after an astronaut, but I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. So what was it? Mercury program, something like that. Uh, he was on Apollo One. Also, okay, cool. He was really? he was one of the ones that died on in that accidental what, fire. What, on exactly right, but that was part of the Apollo program. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, I definitely knew he, he he died in that fire. I just thought that was part of one of the earlier programs. Yeah, he uh, he was the second American to fly into space. Right. So, yeah, so he was definitely part of uh, Mercury or some of the earlier space programs, but it was actually Apollo 1 that he burned. Mm. Okay, cool. Didn't know yeah, that. That's too bad. Yeah. Virgil Ivan Grissom. Hmm. All right. Huh. We are taking some major tangents here. Yes, we are. But that's okay, because I don't think we have a huge amount to say about this one. Or, or do we? Uh, I didn't like it. 
Uh, I thought it was a filler episode in every possible sense of the word. Well, I think it's set up for an. I think it's set up for a potentially exciting uh, conflict laden second episode or second issue. Right. But I will say that in most of this, which is which is really a setup issue, a lot of what happened inside of it was uh, it seemed to be filler. But as we're seeing, uh, I think one of the biggest filler things was the whole Terry and Crusher thing on the hollow deck. But obviously, we're seeing uh, you know this you know it could have been shorter, but definitely getting the background about her emotional stress and being on the Grissom and right. Obviously that's playing into the story. That is right. But, and it was nice to get the little tidbit that, you know, Wesley's still dating Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd. <laughs> right. And right. that wasn't that Ashley Judd's character in that one. I episode? don't, I don't recognize it. I, I don't think know. it was it, probably. Um, but yeah, that that was throwaway. The whole uh, row talking about the Bajoran guy. I mean, I'm assuming it's set up for something. But if you bought this issue in October of 1992, and that was all you had, I kind of feel a little gypped. I might want my dollar seventy five back. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, I guess it depends upon how it plays out in the next issue. Right. If it ends up being, uh, you know. A good second half, a second, you know, well, it's like a space five battle, part whatever. Like that. Oh, really five part? Oh my going god! Going on for a while. Oh my god! No wonder they're filling the heck out of it. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, five part. Oh god. Okay. All right. So I do have two more things. Uh, Terry Oliver Pulaski, whatever her name is, ends uh-huh. up being right. She seems like she's never been on a hollow deck before. I know. So seems unlikely, doesn't it? I'm assuming the Grissom doesn't have holodeck technology. That seems odd. No, maybe it's a smaller ship. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. Or maybe it really is that old one that uh, Spock and them were on in Star Trek Three. <laughs> and she came forward into the future. And then uh, the uh, the other nitpick I have is that Row Ensign Row calls Bajor Bajora. Oh, did she? Uh, yeah. So I guess oh. maybe they hadn't finalized what. Their what home the name planet was gonna be. is actually named. Oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> Good point. All right, so uh, we done with this issue? One last thing to say. When the six ships come out of the sphere, which is like, you know, not all that far away from the Enterprise, they are attacking at warp two. Oh, that's right. I did have that So wouldn't that have meant that they would have been halfway out the, you know, well, if they were in a solar system, which they're not, they're just floating in space, wouldn't they have been halfway out or maybe beyond the solar system by the time, but they would have passed the Enterprise if they're coming at warp two. It's like, yes, come on. Anyway, yeah, that was silly. Why did they have to say that? Right. I agree. And don't tell me that Friedman doesn't know that. It's like, I, ugh, I don't know. Now, we never once, that's funny, because we, we've been talking about this for a while now, we never once talked about the sphere itself. Yes, the Dyson sphere, what appears to be a Dyson sphere. Uh-huh. See, you call it a Dyson sphere, and I'm going to yes. call it another type of sphere. Okay. One that's the size of a moon. <laughs> that's no moon. The Death Star. You're calling it the Death Star. You know, I didn't even think about the Death Star. Oh, yeah, when they kept talking should've. about it being a moon, moon and it's all artificial, I'm like, it's the Death Star. Oh, I wasn't really thinking that. And then they're kind of hinting that perhaps this 
moon had destroyed all the the natural planets around it. in this area and i'm like right. it's a death star <laughs> it destroys things and then it's really old maybe from maybe a long long time ago in, in a, a galaxy, galaxy far far, far, far away. away oh wow <laughs> you could be right but they're in the milky way which isn't that far away oh okay well, but it's it because it's so old it had all that time to get here right from the other galaxy Okay. That was the vibe I was getting while I was reading it. I was like, oh, this is their little homage to the Death Star. Oh, cool. Didn't get that. I, I, I immediately thought of relics and a Dyson sphere, which, of course, you know, is a scientific idea that has nothing directly to do with Star Trek. Right. But, but the Dyson sphere is huge. Much oh, yeah. larger than a moon. Now you're much right. larger than a solar system. No. It's the whole. No. It encompasses a whole solar system. Well, no, not necessarily. Or, well, it, it, it it could be it could be as out as far as the orbit of of the Earth, which is huge, mind you. Which but is it, huge. It doesn't. I mean, that encompassing an entire solar system. You could have a solar system really that's huge. only as big as Earth's orbit. Okay. Nobody Whatever, says Donovan. you have to have Pluto. Whatever, Donovan. <laughs> or about seven other planets. Okay, fine. Right. Fine. 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 But no, I agree with you. It, it, Dyson Sphere, that, that's the one thing that I don't like about that El- Relics episode. The the practicality of building a Dyson Sphere. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Now, if it was... Even if it was just a ring around... <laughs> a, a ring around the whole... Uh, yeah, sun, if, it, if it was like a ring world of some kind, perhaps. <laughs> but even that's like... That could never happen. Well, yeah. And and if you're interested in the physics of that, there's like about six novels talking exploring the possibilities of a ring world. But which a ring is really world cool. didn't encompass the whole orbit of a of a planet, right? Yes. It was, oh, it no. did. It, it it is around uh the sun in oh. uh in Larry Niven's uh, ring world uh series. You know, I always thought it was just around a planet. I didn't know that it was supposed to be around the whole sun. I've never it's, read them. Well, it, it's well worth a read because I I am on the third one now. No, okay, so I just finished Ringworld Engineers, and then I'm going to queue up after I finish this new uh, Rise of the Governor. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the third Ringworld one, which I think is supposed to be like Ringworld Monarchy or I don't know something like that. But it's really interesting. Because huh. Niven says when he wrote the first Ringworld novel, he didn't, you know, he just had an idea and he wrote a a novel about it and he didn't work out all the details. But then after the Ringworld novel came out, it was very popular. He had all these people solicit, you know, giving unsolicited feedback on, ooh, you'd need attitude jets and you'd need this <laughs> and that and all those kind of things. And, and it's like, Niven was like, oh, uh, oh, okay, great. And he worked a lot of these ideas into his subsequent novels, which was really cool. Anyway, we are way off track. <laughs> Worth a read. Larry Niven, Ringworld series. It would make a hell of a movie, although an expensive movie. Right, because they'd have to build a ring around well, the whole they'd sun. Have to. They'd have to do that. <laughs> they'd have no choice. Otherwise, it, re- it wouldn't look real. Exactly. All right, anything else on this one? Uh, nope, not a thing. Uh, all right, I'm going to take your Dyson Sphere rant <laughs> and segue that into the expanded uh, universe where we'll cover the next generation episodes that were coming out at these two months.
Excellent. One of them being Relics. Ah, an excellent episode. Bringing back one of our favorite Taz characters. Yes, Romulan Ale. Romulan Ale. <laughs> no, Scotty, come on. Yes, that that is a great episode. It um, is, as long as you get past... Mainly because Scotty's heck. What? Yeah. Spocky, uh, Scotty is just is great. You know, on on the at first, the idea that he he is able to be in the future like that and not be a corpse, him being in a repeating pattern transporter pattern buffer, is like ridiculous at first. But when you think about it and say, if anybody could do that, it would be <laughs> Scotty, which is cool. <laughs> right. No, I thought it was a really original way of of bringing him to the future. Right. Instead of, you know, I'm an old man, or I somehow time portal, uh, yeah, right. yeah. Know, guardian of forever brought me here. Yeah, or I, I thought came it was out pretty of original the Nexus way. or whatever. Exactly. Because I will. <laughs> Let's not talk about the Nexus. Okay, fine. <laughs> but anyways, that's a great episode. I think so. And, and six, I, I think six, and definitely seven. They were starting to run out of their run out of steam. So there's a mixture of some okay episodes and some good ones. So it's a, it's a mixture in, right. in season six. Yeah. So season six started off with Time Zero Part Two, which I think we covered pretty well last time. Right. Yep. So we won't go into that one. The uh, next one was Realm of Fear. Second second episode, season six, right? Yeah, and that was the one where Barclay was scared to be transported. It it had the cool first person viewpoint of a transporter effect but uh the whole idea of aliens being in the transporter buffer was kind of silly it was and i i like barkley as a supporting character and i think i think the actor he's a really great actor loved him in um in the a-team and he does a good job as 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 barkley also but uh you know i don't know if i want to see an entire episode of him wow right oh he's good yeah uh the next one is man of the people which right. I didn't remember all that well. You you seem to have a better grasp on it than I do. Well, there's a lot of details I don't remember, but I do remember that there was a ambassador who came out of the Enterprise and and Troy was digging his chili. But I might have confused this with another episode where I believe that ambassador was actually um uh of her people, uh from her planet. And in this one, it's talking about how the ambassador has a mother, and there's something going on where the mother's dying, but mm, but then Troy is at her deathbed or something. There's a yeah, lot of details Troy I don't remember. Troy turns into an old woman in this one and dies, and right. then is brought back. That, right. That's all I remember. Right. I don't remember how she dies, why she dies, and how they brought her back. Yeah, and how she became old. Right. Um, All right, but well, I guess we can skip that one. Uh, the next one was relics, and then the one after that was with a Dyson sphere. Yeah, the Dyson sphere and Scotty. Now, now, in that one, was it a true Dyson sphere? Was it big enough to, um, yes, encircle the planet or the the solar system's sun? Yes. Okay, it was. Okay, I I, I don't remember that detail. Right, but. and then there was living space. Yeah, tons whole, of it. Yeah, right. Tons uh, of uh, it. Yeah, can you imagine that much? Oh space? yeah. When you when you think of a normal uh, solar system, which is flat, and then you know balls of mud traveling around it, and that's where we live, an habitable planet. 
Right. But then, not only being on the uh, on the plane of the solar plane, the galactic plane, but also it being a true sphere, so it's going above the plane and, and around it. I mean, it's just ah, the, it's the amount of the amount of the size, the, the livable space is is enormous. And you would never have night; it would be day all the time. That's a good point, and uh, the Ring World has a way to give you night, by the way, uh, which I'm not going to go. They're called shadow squares, but uh, <laughs> maybe, well, shadow squares. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Uh, maybe they could do something like that in a Dyson sphere. I don't know, but uh, they didn't. They didn't in this episode, right? Right. All right. The next episode was Schisms, which is an insomnia episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and the crew looked better. I'll tell you. That was... They couldn't sleep because of an area of space or something, right? Right. There was something going on in that area of space that was inhibiting the human's ability to sleep. And again, good thing you got a, an android around in in the crew. Uh, I, I, I think Worf was, was, was affected also the same way. And uh, I don't remember how they got out of it, but... Um, yeah, the whole crew was getting pretty incapacitated. You don't realize how much the human body needs sleep. I mean, you know the human body needs sleep. But what starts happening to you if you don't get it? I mean, right. for like days, you know. And apparently you can die, but... Right. I've seen that around Elm Street, and I know what happens if you stay up too late. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Freddy comes to get you. Exactly. You can't... You have to fall asleep sometime. Freddy. All right, and then the last episode that came out uh, over these two months was True Q. Ah, True Q. A Q episode. Right, which is the one where the little girl, I don't think she was a girl, but young woman, uh, finds out she's actually a Q. Right. Now, I, and I hope I'm remembering this one right, um, that was actually a fan-submitted episode, and it was written by like a 14, 15 year old kid. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you know, because I don't have a lot of time to prepare for this, I haven't backed that story up. But I do remember when that episode came out, I remember reading Starlog or something like that uh, that, that talked about this that being a, a fan-submitted episode. And oh, that's that was, cool. It was a kid, like my own age, and I'm like, ah, I could have written that. <laughs> I could have... Could have been famous. I got, I got better ideas than that one. Yeah. What if Q's uh, mom shows up and makes him eat his Brussels sprouts? Oh my god, no. That would have been an awesome episode. Mother Q. <laughs> Anyways. And that was the last uh, episode for the season, or for these two months. Well, there was Rascals, Well, that's, which that's, was on well, October 31st. Oh, was it? I missed one? Well, at least according to IMDb, air date was October 31st, supposedly. Hmm. Rascals was a good episode, I thought. Um, I don't remember it by title. I'm just going to read oh, this. Oh, you remember it. It's the one where they turn into little little kids. Oh, my Guy God. Picard, oh, my God. Ro. As in the little rascals? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, and, and uh, the kid who played um, Rene, Picard's nephew plays young Picard. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the girl who played Whoopi Goldberg's character in... Oh, man. Uh, one of those movies Whoopi Goldberg did 
there was an, a scene where it was her as a little girl, and it was uh-huh. the same girl from that movie. Oh, playing cool. a uh, young guy in. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I thought it was. It was actually I liked the episode because they kept their mental facilities. So well, Picard was still Picard, but he was in this little tiny body that nobody oh, could take okay. seriously. Yeah, and, and you know I gotta tell you, <coughs> you're digging on that. But in a recent episode with Brian, you guys are all oh they're Klingons. They can't be thinking like they were real, like they were real, <laughs> really humans. Uh, they should have been this? thinking like you they were humans. I don't get this. That's what I'm saying. They should have still been thinking like humans, even though they were in Klingon bodies. Uh, Here they were adults in little kid bodies, but they still were thinking like adults. Yeah, and look at the, okay. So so this is another episode where you have to have. You have to swallow a huge <laughs> dollop of suspended disbelief. Yes. So, okay, so Picard's shuttle is disintegrated, disintegrated by an energy field. All were beamed aboard, I guess, the Enterprise just in time, but with a mass loss of 40% and physically rejuvenated to adolescent bodies while mentally unchanged. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, oh, my God, this is awesome. Oh, my God, that's dumb oh my god it's dumb and then like getting jane away back from being a a, a salamander into a normal <laughs> form okay now exactly how did they get them back to being normal and get 60 percent of their mass body mass again i can't remember how they get out of that one. Oh, i bet it's a transporter thing or something oh my god i hope they didn't do that because they did oh. that for pulaski when she turned to an old lady yeah and they did that for kirk when he was split those amazing transporters. I know. They cause problems, but they fix so many problems. Exactly. I guess we'll keep them around. <laughs> All right, man. So uh, next episode, we're going to start off our summer movie spectacular. Spectacular. No. spectacular. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so we're going to take a break from the 90s, and we're actually going to read the two miniseries that spun off of, uh, or actually one was a prequel and one was a mid-quel of the 2009 Star Trek movie. Cool. So next week we do Star Trek Countdown issues 1, 2, and 3. Great. Great. And a lot of people don't necessarily know some of the backstory of that movie. But I'm sure everybody that listens yeah. to this podcast do. Uh, right. I'm sure they have. But maybe it's been a few years since they read it, and they want to hear what, you know, two guys who kind of know what they're talking about have to say about it. Yeah, well, speak for yourself. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's us. (laughs) All right, that's going to be good. I'm looking forward to all that stuff. All right, so I think we went a little long, but... uh, We did. These were just so damn good to talk about. Well, as you as you mentioned earlier, sometimes when the episodes aren't that great, we spend a lot of time uh, skewering them, but then also talking about other things. Hey, whatever. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. It's all out of love, because no matter how bad they are, they're still Star Trek, and I still enjoyed reading it. Exactly. Good. Me too. All right. So until then, take care, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us. And come back to see us again on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. 
You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.